Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. I'm Britt. I'm one of the pastors at Red, and I get to speak this morning. Um, guys, can you believe it's November? Crazy. Kind of snuck up on all of us, I think. Um, you kind of have Melbourne Cup, and then you think to yourself, okay, basically it's Christmas, right? That's what my brain does. So on that, who's got out the Christmas carols already? Yeah. So some giggling. No one's raising their hands, though. Anyone done like, yeah? Oh, look at this front row. Love it. Maybe just popping it in the car so no one else knows. Kind of listen to a few, hop out at work, and you're like, just Christmased. Anyway, it's exciting. It's exciting, but it's been a pretty crazy year, right? What, a, what an interesting year we've had. Um, and so I thought it'd be good to just reflect and to sit and listen to what God's been saying. Incidentally, um, there's been people doing that every week on a Tuesday since April. So I had the opportunity to go to the prayer session that happens Tuesday night at Orchard Grove for Red and Renewal for the first time. Um, I usually, or I was used to leave an instruction, like a class, so I couldn't make it. So finally got there was super excited, um, didn't know what to expect. Um, there wasn't like hundreds of people, just to be clear, but w- when I arrived, I was just so moved to see that there have been men and women who have weekly turned up to pray for me and for you, for renewal. They are taking time each week, spare time, to sit with God and say, what do you want to say? to your people. We are a church that he has gathered or a group of people that he's put together. And they sit there week after week seeking God. I don't know about you, but that deeply spoke to me. I feel really cared for by that. Someone speaking life over me. When we intercede, it's basically standing in the gap. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So we partner with him and say, what do you want to say to your people that you love? So we've had a group of people doing that. The second thing that struck me was what God's been saying in that space. So it's been happening since April. Can you remember back to April what you were doing? Oh God, I struggled to remember last week. What has God been saying since April? There are multiple things that he has been saying. His heart for us as a church is to know him more, to pour out his spirit. And something that he has been saying this whole time is do not be afraid draw near. He said that over you ever since April. Draw near. Red Church, draw near. What is God saying? And I think it's really powerful to remember this and to think about this. I obviously had a huge impact in going, but I wanted to share this because we've had an interesting year. We've had an interesting couple of years. We've talked about it in multiple ways. One way that Walter Brueggemann describes it is this kind of process that we go through individually and collectively in our faith, where we are orientated. We begin, we can feel like we're on the right track, things are working well, you feel good with God, life's good, work's good, family's good, home's good, friend's good, life's good, orientated, know what's going on, it's good. Then you can slide into disorientation, and little things can change that, a change in something in life, maybe a relational dynamic that changes, maybe a pandemic, that can be fit in there. Perhaps this year has looked a little bit like that still. If we think back to April or even further back, it's so different to where we are now. 
And there's this sense in which we're moving into, I believe, the final stage at this point, individually and as a church, which is reorientation. So I'd love to talk about that today in the way that God is inviting us to reorientate towards where he's headed. Now, let me just share, this is not something that we're going to achieve on our own or strive towards or work out. This is an invitation from God. And let's remember what he said, do not be afraid, draw near. So as we make our way into this reorientation, out of disorientation, which is frightening because we don't know what's left or right, we're trying to set new patterns, perhaps we're feeling a bit stuck, there are multiple stories in this room, but collectively I believe God is saying, it's time to reorientate, let me reorientate you to where we're headed. So we end this year. And in that process from disorientation to reorientation, I'm going to put in another word, comes transformation. God wants to transform us. So I want to look at a Romans passage that it looks and describes what it is to reorientate, to live in the identity we're called to, to choose that time and again. So we're going to go to Romans 6. Romans is a fantastic book written by Paul. It's in the New Testament. It's rich with theology. Um, if you're a Bible nerd, which I am, I love this book. There's so much to it. But let's just look at this part because I can't talk to you about all of Romans, sadly. So verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, read, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is a beautiful passage that speaks of the freedom that we have as followers of Jesus. And whether you're a part of Red or not, this message is for you as well. God is speaking to us and invites us to reorientate ourselves to the truth that we live under grace. Now, this section is full of so much theology, as I just said. You know, the word sin is in there a lot. It's quite a lot in there. And I was looking at this and um, just reading up on it, and someone described to me that Paul here is kind of speaking about that dynamic that we all have. If we follow followers of Jesus, if we believe in who he is, that he died and rose again and confess and repent and choose to follow him, he has defeated all sin. Yes, we believe that. But we still struggle with it. Why? Christ's death has conquered sin, but sometimes and somehow it still invites us in. When Paul speaks about sin in Romans, he's almost always talking about a noun rather than a verb. So let's look at some Greek. Forgive me for my Greek. I'm going to give it a good go, though. So the noun is hamatia, and the verb is hamatano, I think. Yeah, not bad? 
46 times Paul uses the noun hamartia. So what Paul is saying here and what he's describing here when he uses that word over and over again in this text, even just in this little section, 6 to 14, those verses, he's talking more about a condition you're in rather than the specific things you're doing. In Romans 1, the bad things that he lists there are the symptoms of a condition of sin rather than the sin itself. So why do we still sin when we've been set free from it? Paul explains that it all comes down to where we give our energy and time, where we give our focus, where we put our attention and devotion. Sin gains power over us the more we engage in it. But God's eternal life and who God is also does the more we engage in that. As I was reading about this, um, one of the books I was reading on used the example of Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Hectic. Never thought you'd be thinking about Gollum this Sunday. But he's a beautiful example of what it means. Not beautiful. No, never. Never would that word be used with Gollum. He's a great example of someone who found something, the ring representing death. And when he finds it, he's just this young man, innocently on a lake, in a river, details unimportant, and finds the ring. And even in that moment, he's with someone and he fights that person for this ring. He's only just touched it and his behavior has already changed. And yet throughout that story, you see the more he sits with it, the more his focus and attention and devotion is creepy, right? His devotion to that ring completely changes who he is. Sin gives power over us the more we engage in it, but so does God. You know, I have the privilege of working in a church and getting to have conversations with many people. Many of you are sitting out there, and it's so wonderful to journey with you all. And do you know something I've witnessed recently as I reflect over this year? There are people who I know, I don't know the ins and outs, but I know that they have intentionally sought God, spent time with God, prayed with God, come before him, and they have been changed. And I am hearing the stories and seeing the impact of that in their life. And it's, sometimes it's just minor. It doesn't mean their circumstances have changed, but they carry a new joy and lightness and openness. It's profound. The more we spend time with God, the more we are changed into his likeness. So what are we giving our attention our own devotion to? Because remember, we are not living under sin anymore. We're living under grace. How do we reorientate ourselves to that time and again, coming back to that? We have a choice. It says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. This is what we're talking about. Seeking his eternal life in all things. And this sometimes stands in opposition to what might be our experience. But Steve Kass says that walking by faith, then, is a lifelong habit of trusting God's story over the story we tell ourselves. Paul is saying, choose grace, choose life, the life that has been fought for you, that Jesus died to make possible. Choose that over and over again. And the story we tell ourselves is sometimes the experiences we've had, 
that repeat a story that is not of God, but it's all we've known, and Jesus is saying, I want to change that. Choose my story. Don't be afraid. Draw near. And so we have this opportunity, we have this choice to reorientate. What does that look like? How do we do that? Not just with our lives, not just with our thoughts, not just with our habits. Because it says in Romans 6, 17, that thanks be to God, for in the past you were servants of sin, but now your obedience is heart deep. Your life is being molded by truth through the teaching you are devoted to. Jesus is after your heart and desires to bring transformation there. And so what does that look like to offer that? I believe as we go and journey through reorientation, Jesus has revelation for us. To move through reorientation, you need revelation. Revelation of who God is and his heart and also revelation of yours. God, where is my heart? What does it look like to praise you and to be obedient from my heart? What is he saying over us? Don't be afraid, draw near. Jesus wants to come near. And if you read about that in the Gospels, time and again, when Jesus is walking around and meeting different people from all sorts of stages and phases of life, in the midst of many things happening, often you read about what he sees when he looks at them, at different people. It's repeated throughout the scriptures. When God looks at us, when Jesus looks at us, what does he see? Not just a man or a woman, he sees our heart. And what does he have? Compassion and mercy in his eyes because he knows that pain or that suffering or that grief that is in your heart and he has fought and died so that you can be free from it. He knows the weight of it. That's how you can have compassion for someone because you've had that experience and lived on the other side. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid, come near because I want to bring freedom. I want to speak to that part of your heart. I want to teach you what it is to love and be obedient from your heart. As I was preparing for this message, I felt led to speak specifically for those of us who are currently in a space of being angry towards God, or maybe disappointed, or disillusioned, or frustrated. I've been there. I've had many arguments with God. I have been stubborn and taken a while to come back. And I want to talk to you about Job. Who's read Job? Yeah. Who's read Job recently? Yeah. Woo, Kamenji, what a book. But it's actually a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful reflection of humanity. Job starts off as the guy. I was just reading it before um, and in preparation, and he is this guy who is well off. He's doing well. He had, what was it, like seven sons, three daughters, lots of sheep. I mean, in this time, it's pretty great. If you've got sheep, you're, you're something. I know that sounds weird for us. Land, he's the guy. And God loves him. It talks about it at the start of Job. He's like, Job was a righteous man. The enemy comes and says to God, Job only loves you because things are good. And God's like, no, I know Job loves me, irrelevant of what's going on. So the enemy does everything that he can to take life away from Job. His family dies around him. His livestock disappears. His land goes. He is literally alone. And then his health 
Job quickly finds himself in a completely different space. His circumstances have changed. And he gets angry with God. And he yells at him and he speaks directly to him and is frustrated at him. And he has some friends. Job has interesting friends that he keeps company with. And they have some interesting perspectives as well on God. They speak a lot about who God is and argue with Job. And it's an interesting book. You should definitely read it. But the crazy thing is, as I was thinking about this, as I was reading it, Tim Mackey pointed something out, who we heard from last week, that in the book of Job, when you come to the end, Job is still considered a righteous man. After everything that's happened, God loves this man. Even when Job has yelled at him, screamed at him, called him all sorts of names and said, where are you? It ends with God blessing Job. And the key thing here, what I think is so powerful, is the difference between Job and his friends is although they may have said the same things about God and been frustrated at God and not understood what was going on, Job spoke to God about it. His friends just spoke about God. God wants to be in relationship with us, even if you're angry at him, because that's relationship, isn't it? To not engage with him means that he can't engage with you. Even in relationship, if you're angry, you're still communicating with someone. He can handle your anger. Throughout the book, you see that God remains steady. Job changes, but he's still considered righteous at the end. God is present in the disorientation and in the orientation. God is present, and he's saying, don't be afraid. Draw near. Draw near even in your anger. Come before me in your frustration, in your fear, in all parts. And maybe you are there. Maybe you have sensed that in the last little period, an invitation to be with him. I just want to say one more thing on this. The enemy loves to make you think that if you do this, if you come closer to God, that he will scold you, or it'll be more painful or harder, or it's too great to be filled. But actually, the truth is that God is going to show himself through his healing, and he's going to fill that space. He's not going to move away from you. He's going to move towards you. It says in James, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It doesn't matter how long it's been or how messy it feels. That is the truth. Abraham Heschel said that an instant of returning to God may restore what has been lost in years of escaping from him. An instant of returning to God may restore what has been lost in years of escaping him. I think this is beautifully illustrated in the prodigal son, that story in the gospel when the son returns home after years, after everything he had done to the father, after his anger and frustration, he returns home and how does the father respond? Immediately open arms and runs to him. He doesn't go through a checklist of the things he's done. Actually, he's like, no, come in. An instant of returning to God may restore what has been lost in years of escaping from him. He restores that. He sits him around the table, he shares a meal, he robes him. No matter how long it's been, God is saying, don't be afraid, draw near. In whatever way that looks like for you, 
And so what does that look like? How do you do that? There are different people in this room. As I said, we are on a collective journey because he's put us together. And do you know what's really powerful? This has been an experience in my life. Remembering the promises of God in these moments, significant, this is why we have the word, that he is faithful, he was faithful to Job, and he will be faithful to you. But also testimony. So there have been so many times when I've been wrestling through something and I'm kind of in that process in God's teaching me and Jesus is like, let me, let me touch that part of your life. Let me bring that healing. And when it comes, obviously, I'm so incredibly thankful. But strangely enough, but probably not that strange, the next week or the next fortnight, someone around me will come to me and be like, oh, I'm actually really struggling with this and struggling to believe in God. And it's the same thing you just taught me. And I have the opportunity in that moment to be like, this is who God is. I have literally just seen him do that. I believe he will do it in you. You all have stories of what he's doing in your life. And you're all designed to share them and encourage one another along the way as we all draw near to God. The promises of God and the testimony of the people in our community are really key in this moment as we choose to do that, no matter which, however we come to approach this. So, I incidentally made a change in my approach to God over the last few months. I went to a prayer house when I was away overseas, and I began using their prayer book, which is beautiful. It's a Celtic prayer book, and it leads you through different um, responsive prayers. And there was a little section in there that I hadn't really noticed that much. But i tell you what's really come to my attention now. And it's basically this point when I'm praying that gets me to put my heart before God. Let me tell you and read to you the instruction and what it sounds like. It starts with, we find forgiveness, reconciliation, and healing at the foot of the cross. Amen. Yeah? Great. Let us leave there any burdens of conscience, unresolved conflicts, or unhealed hurts. God, I was hoping to just read a psalm and just have a good time and then be like, I'm off for work. Actually, recently, God's been like, no, I want to look at those parts. They're the messy parts that I want to actually heal and restore and speak to. It's profoundly changed my time with him, and I can see he is changing me in it. It doesn't mean it's been easy and it's all finished, but God is doing something. So to turn up to a prayer meeting where I had no idea what was going on and to hear that line, don't be afraid, draw near, and to realize that's what God's been getting me to do morning after morning. Incredibly encouraging. And I believe he's inviting all of us. And so I wanted to share just three different prayers to speak to possibly different people in the room or where you're at or what it looks like for us to come before God with our hearts as we reorientate and choose his freedom and his life and as we wait for his revelation of his love and where our hearts are at. I love that prayer from Mark 9, 24, and it's so simple. I do believe, help me in my unbelief. You could just start with that. Or maybe today it's just an acknowledgement of, oh, I haven't actually brought my heart before God in a long time. I want to do that. And we're going to have prayer at the end, and you are welcome to do that today. The second one is a psalm. Now, the psalms are incredible because they're written in such a human way. And for me, particularly having those questions asked, 
I was like, there are things that I struggle to say about myself. There are things that I struggle to confess and to believe in God sometimes. But the psalm helps me do that. It produces those words and it has authority and power to do that. And so this psalm is just one little snippet. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is powerful. If you are praying that every day, imagine. Search my heart, God. Know my anxious thoughts. Saying, draw near. Use this prayer as a way to do that. And finally, perhaps you're in the midst of this already. You feel like you're being reorientated. You've had some revelation from God, something new of who, his heart, who he is, and something of you that he's like, I want to transform that part. Most of the time, God is going after our identity, wanting to speak to our worth and our value. And so this one at the end is a great one when you're in the midst of that, when you're awaiting more of that freedom and healing that comes with spending time with Jesus. So Jesus died so I don't have to maybe seek people's approval anymore to feel worthy. Jesus died so I don't have to make people laugh anymore. Or maybe Jesus died so I don't have to have a gold standard sermon anymore. Pop in there whatever you want to see free freedom in and choose Jesus for. That's life. So I invite you, as God has been saying over us, as the people have been praying, don't be afraid. He is good and loving and he's inviting you to draw near for freedom and for life because he wants to offer more of himself, not just for you, but for all the places that you go and all the people that you see to give glory to him. Will you stand while I pray? Father God, we just come before you now as your children. We stand in the truth that Jesus died so that we can be called your children, so that we can come to you knowing that we live under grace and love and remembering that that is new every morning. Your mercy, love, grace is new every morning and that you are calling us to draw near to you. Father, I pray for courage. I pray against the enemy bringing in fear. And instead, I speak and I ask for your truth and your peace. Holy Spirit, would you bring the revelation of Jesus? And may we stand, even in this moment, and dare to look into your eyes, Jesus, and recognize the compassion and love that you have for us, that you see our pain and desire to bring freedom into all spaces, even in our anger, in our disillusionment, whatever it looks like, you come towards us as we come towards you. Father, I just pray you lead your people, that we would be those who come before you and you continue to shape us into the community and the people you've designed us to be. Thank you for the ways you're already doing this. We choose life, we choose you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,